1: I hope, I hope you're in a, in a mood to celebrate because there's a lot to celebrate, man. Last weekend was Easter. We celebrated the risen Christ. That we don't we don't just gather for tradition. We gather because we believe this to be true. And some listen to this. God allowed some 75,000 people to be a part of our Easter services at campuses and online and at Twelve Stone Home and that incredible, incredible weekend. And and. We don't just celebrate numbers here. We celebrate stories and people, and God's given us a calling as a church. And just as a reminder, let me remind you what our calling as a church is, is that we exist for people to know God, not just know him, but to know him relationally and to find freedom. Like, you don't have to stay stuck in your stuff. And then you can discover your purpose. God has a reason you're here. And then ultimately, once you follow Christ, you you can live a life that makes a difference, which is why we are so stoked, not just about how many people were a part of our church last weekend, but how many people came to know God last weekend. Listen to this. We had 622 people respond to the gospel just last weekend. That's worth celebrating. A God who rescues and loves you. And loves you where you're at, but loves you too much to let you stay there. And of those 622, 290 are first-time salvations, 332 rededications. And we are actually baptizing 13 people in 12-stone home today. We can celebrate that in a big way across our campuses. Man, Jesus is still rescuing. God is still wild about people, and we celebrate what God is doing. He is moving mightily among us, and and it's one of the reasons why we're creating the next three weeks together. So we're stepping into a conversation because we recognize how many people came to faith last weekend, and how many people are still exploring their faith. Like, maybe you didn't respond last weekend, but you're going... Jesus, if you're real, if this thing is true, I'm going, to st- I'm going to just sort of stay on that path. So over the next three weeks, we're, we're, we're designed this specifically for that reason. You see, one thing we didn't celebrate yet, and let me tell you why, is we had in K-12, that's our children's ministry, K- kindergarten through fifth grade, we had 109 kids respond to the gospel over Easter. Can we say praise God for what he's doing to the next generation? And I love when that happens. Because y'all know what you did in high school and college. <laughs> Don't think back. like Erase the tapes. Jesus did. He's forgiven you. You are free. You can find freedom. But, but what if Jesus would spare those kids from the mistakes? Isn't that beautiful? In fact, there's a reason that, that when the disciples asked Jesus, he said, listen, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Like Jesus, tell us who's the greatest. How does the hierarchy work? Jesus did this. He called a child to him. And he put the kid in the midst of them, and he said this, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. What's Jesus saying? He's saying there, there's, a, there's a beauty in the childlike faith. Like what, what Jesus did in those kids is beautiful because their faith is childlike. And he's not speaking to, like, an intellectual ability, like, just stay, like, at the the ignorance of a kindergartner. He's not saying that. He's talking about a disposition. Like, the beauty of children is that they're childlike. They, They recognize in the grand scheme of things, they're dependent. They're humble. They're not trying to climb a ladder. They're just like, I'm so glad that God loves me. That's what Jesus is talking about. Childlike faith is beautiful. Here's the, here's the problem, is that once you grow up, and your faith doesn't grow up with you, is it still childlike faith? In fact, Jesus is, is celebrating this reality that, that there is a beauty to, I think, is it hyphenated childlike? If it's not, grammar police, relax. Jesus loves you. There, there's a beauty to this childlike faith, but as you grow up and your faith doesn't grow up with you, what was once childlike becomes child-ish. That just landed for some of y'all. Hmm. Jesus is not talking about a child-ish faith. He's talking about a childlike faith. And the difference is this. Think about your own kids. When your kids are young, you have to explain everything to them all the time. Hey, I need you to brush your teeth. Why? Because you get cavities. Why? Because that's how gingivitis works, I think. Is that Anyway, because that's how that works. Why? Because if you don't, your teeth will fall out. Well, why? Because you won't be able to eat food. You'll be eating shakes the rest of your life. You have to explain everything. If I'm talking to my wife, like, hey, babe, don't forget to brush your teeth. She's like, oh, good call. Thanks. Like, kids require explanation for everything. But as you grow up, you start to realize sometimes God doesn't explain himself about everything. And listen to me. If you don't have holes in your faith where you go, God, you didn't explain this part to me. I don't know that you have a mature faith. It might be childish. Because here's what you do. When God doesn't explain himself over here, when Jesus doesn't explain himself over here, you start to deconstruct and drift and dismiss the things that Jesus did explain about himself. Like he might not have explained this, but he explained who he is. And the gap between those two is where a mature faith starts to take root. And so what we want to do is this. We validate a beautiful childlike disposition in your faith. But what Jesus wants to do is either you have to stay childlike and grow to mature faith, or you get stuck and you move into a childish faith. And So over the next three weeks, we're going to major on the things that Jesus did explain about himself. In an effort to grow us up in our faith. And we're going to be sitting in three questions. Did Jesus actually rise from the dead? Like actually died, actually rose. Second week, next weekend. Does following Jesus make my life easier? Mm. Third week, is Jesus really the only way to God? See, these are things that Jesus explained about himself. And this week I asked Pastor Steve Walton, to jump into this very first question, did Jesus actually rise from the dead? So here and across the campuses, would you help me welcome Pastor Steve Walton today? That's good. Thanks, Jason.
0: Uh, Yeah, I'm excited for today, and you might be wondering, okay, well, why start with the question, did Jesus actually rise from the dead? And here's why. Because I think when it comes to the person of Jesus, this question is maybe the biggest question, and in my opinion, the biggest misconception about Jesus. And I know that for all you super Christians out there, you're like, well, of course he rose from the dead. Okay, chill out just for a second. Because think about it. To believe that someone was brutally murdered and then came back to life three days later, is a bit of a stretch, right? It's like normally you only see that on The Walking Dead, you know, and we don't believe Jesus was a zombie, okay? Just to be clear, it's not what we believe. And so I think that this question might be a little more divisive than you might think. See, uh, back in 2021, there was a study that was done that found that 85% of non-Christian teens do not believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, okay? So it's the majority of Christians, or non-Christians, and again, that probably makes sense to you, because you're like, well, they don't follow Jesus, so of course they don't believe. But in that same study, look at this, found that 50%, 50% of Christian teens do not believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. So half of the people that claim to follow Jesus don't actually believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And it's not just teens either. See, I was talking to some friends of mine. They go to this church. Uh, they believe in God. They're, they're in their 30s. They have three kids just like us. But the one hurdle to their faith, the one thing that kept them from following Jesus was this question. In fact, they wrote me an email. I want to share it with you. This is, this is so honest and so real. This is what they said. They said, we are natural born questioners. We question everything, even ourselves. So the resurrection is a tough one. I've attempted to rationalize it so many times. Maybe he didn't really resurrect, like, but his life, his messages, and his story is resurrected every day through every Christian. You see what they're saying? They're like, you know, when we say resurrection, maybe, maybe what we mean is like the legacy of Jesus lives on. Maybe that's what it means. But come on. To rise from the dead? Really? And see, back in 50 AD, there were Christians that were asking this exact same question. They actually wrote Paul a letter, and they said, Paul, come on, man, it's been 20 years. Shoot us straight. Did Jesus actually rise from the dead? And so Paul wrote back to them, and he was so confident in the resurrection that the language he used was pretty emphatic. Look at what he says. He says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless and so is your faith. Now, come on, when's the last time you heard a pastor say, my preaching is useless, okay? And Paul said, look, if you find the body of Jesus, my preaching is useless, so is your faith. And he goes on, he says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. And then he wraps it up this way, and if Christ has not been raised, we are of all people most To be pitied. (laughs) See, Paul's saying, listen, if the resurrection of Jesus didn't happen, why are we even here? We should all just pack up and go home. He goes even further to say, if the resurrection didn't happen, you should pity us. See, for Paul, the resurrection was a non-negotiable. But did it actually happen? Did Jesus actually rise from the dead? See, I was was 12 years old when I surrendered my life to Jesus. I was at a winter retreat. And right about the time that I um, found my faith, my dad was losing his. And he started to deconstruct his faith, and so I started to deconstruct mine. He's really smart. He had a lot of questions that I didn't really have answers to. And so I started to wonder, and maybe this is a question that you've been having. I started to wonder, like, is any of this true? (laughs) I mean, are these all just like made up stories that we tell the kids and old ladies to make them feel better? Like, is that really all our faith is? Can we actually trust that there is a God? Is any of this real? And the biggest question that I had to answer was this. Did Jesus actually rise from the dead? So we're going to talk about that today. And, and, and maybe you're a skeptic like I am. Maybe you randomly found your way to a 12-stone home gathering. Maybe someone forwarded you this teaching, and you've got that same question, or you're kind of a skeptic like me. I think today is going to be helpful for you. Because to answer this question, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the story of a guy, a real person who actually lived during the time of Jesus. He followed Jesus around for about three years, and then when he heard that Jesus was raised from the dead, he said... I doubt it. <laughs> he didn't believe. In fact, this guy is really well known for his doubts. So well known that we've actually given him a nickname based on his doubts. You know who we're talking about? Talking about Doubting Thomas. Here we are 2,000 years later, giving the guy a nickname over the worst moment of his life. Wouldn't you love that, right? I'm sure if Thomas could be here. He'd be like, guys, it was one time, you know, but anyways. That's his nickname. Now, here's what we're gonna do today. We're gonna look past the moniker of doubting Thomas to who Thomas actually was. Okay, so even if you don't know anything about Thomas or anything about the Bible, then we're gonna kind of start from ground zero with Thomas. So Thomas was a real life person, and Thomas, first thing you gotta know is he was one of the 12 disciples, okay, which means he was chosen by Jesus to follow Jesus, and he followed him for about three years. Second thing you got to know about Thomas is Thomas was a twin. In fact, Thomas was given a nickname. His nickname was Thomas Didymus. Didymus is the, um, is the Greek word for twin. And so you've heard of like Thomas the train. Well, this is Thomas the twin. Okay. So Thomas, the tw- it sounds like I'm saying twain. Okay. Anyways, Tom- <laughs> I can't say my R's. Thomas the twin. Okay. Thomas the twin. So Thomas the twin, one of the disciples. Last thing you got to know about him is this. He was loyal to Jesus. Now I'm sure some of you like Bible nerds are like, "Well, all the disciples are loyal to Jesus," and so that's true. But this guy was like especially loyal to Jesus, like to the real Jesus. And the reason we know that there's this interaction that happens where uh, one of Jesus's best friends, a guy named Lazarus, got really sick, and so all of Lazarus's friends said, "Jesus, would you please come and heal your best friend, Lazarus?" And Jesus said, "No." And that did not go over well with Lazarus' friends. And then even worse than that, Lazarus died. And then after Lazarus died, Jesus said, Okay, now I'm going to go see Lazarus. And all the disciples were like, Jesus, no, we can't go now. Come on, you could have healed him, but you didn't. And, and, and they went as far as to say, if we go now, then they're going to kill you. And if we go with you, Jesus, they might kill us too. All the disciples resisted. They didn't want Jesus to go. All of them except for Thomas. Thomas actually had this little powwow with the disciples. He kind of rallied them all together. And this is what he said. Uh, Thomas, also known as Didymus. Remember his nickname, Thomas the Twin. Okay. So also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. Now, this is huge. Okay. He's, he's, he's rallying the guys together. He's saying, guys. This is Jesus. We've committed our lives to him. So wherever he goes, we need to go. Even if it costs him his life, even if it costs us our lives, we need to go. So you see how loyal Thomas is to Jesus? Well, a few weeks after this interaction with Lazarus, Thomas watches as his leader, his teacher, his rabbi is taken from them and then uh, publicly executed by Roman crucifixion, and Thomas watches as they nail his hands to the cross, as they put a spear in his side, and he watches as his leader is brutally murdered, and then just like any of us would be, he was overwhelmed with grief. I mean, if you've ever lost a loved one, and you're at the funeral, you know what it feels like to be just overwhelmed and beside yourself and lost, and that's how Thomas, and The rest of the disciples were just grief-stricken. But then to make matters worse, the disciples, a few days later, came up to Thomas, and they said, Thomas, Thomas, we have great news for you. Jesus is alive. And Thomas is like, what? Look at what they said. They said, um, the the disciples told Thomas, we have seen the Lord. And Thomas hears this, and here's what he says. So Thomas said, Y'all are cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Okay. Just kidding. That is not in the Bible. All right. That is, but if he grew up a 90s kid like me, that's probably what he would have said. Like, y'all, guys, we just watched him die. There's no way you actually saw Jesus. Here's what Thomas actually said. Okay. This is actual scripture. He said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Here's what Tom, because remember Thomas the twin, he is so loyal to Jesus. And it's almost like he has another powwow with the disciples going, guys, guys, come on, come on, let's be realistic. Look, I know this didn't end the way that we wanted it to end. I know none of us saw this coming, but you can't just make up stuff about Jesus. You can't just come up with some fairy tale. Look, I'm loyal to who Jesus actually is, not who you want him to be, Okay, so I'm not going to go along with your fantasy. I'm not going to go along with your fairy tale. I'm not going to go along with your lie. Okay, if Jesus really did rise from the dead, here's what I'm going to need. I'm going to need him to show up right here because I watched him die. I watched them put nails in his hands. So if it's happened, I want to see the nail marks. Okay, and I watched them put a spear in his side. So if it's real, I want to see the spear mark in his side. If this actually happened, I got to have evidence. Otherwise, I doubt it. And so Thomas doubted, by the way, (laughs) just like you would have, right? Just like me. See, I am doubting Thomas. I've got a lot of doubts. And like I told you before, you know, I it started right about the time I became a Christian. And my dad was deconstructing his faith, and I started deconstructing mine. And by the way, my dad's so smart, read so many books. And so his his doubts were like really mature doubts. He had great questions that I didn't have answers to. And I had this childlike that was becoming child-ish faith. And, 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 and the weight of his doubts, I mean, it, it, it undid my faith. Didn't, I didn't have answers to his doubts. So I started wondering, like, is any of this true? Are we all just, like, making stuff up? Just coming up with stories, fairy tales, legends? Is any of this true? See, I know what doubt feels like. It's the, it's, the, it's the sinking feeling in your stomach when your faith starts to implode, and you go, I don't know if I can trust any of this. I remember um, right about this time of deconstruction, we went on a big family trip to Italy, and we got to see all these like beautiful Christian cathedrals, and there's one in particular that kind of stood out to me. It's called the uh, Basilica of San Clemente. This is what it looks like. And um, this cathedral was built in the 11th century in Rome. But the interesting thing about this particular cathedral is it was built on top of an ancient Christian home church. Okay, so shout out to 12 Stone Home. So this is like a place that uh, Christians would gather in like the second and third century, and they would worship Jesus. So it's like a cathedral on top of this ancient church. But what's even more interesting is this ancient church was actually built on top of an ancient pagan temple dedicated to the heathen God Mithras. This is what it looks like. So if you travel down in the basement, this is what you find. So you got a cathedral built on top of a church, built on top of a pagan temple. It's like a turducken of faith. You know what I mean? It's just, you got them all layered. And we're touring around this cathedral. And I remember my dad said, interesting, isn't it? How they put one religion right on top of another. And that, (laughs) a mess with me, I started going, man, is that it? Is that all this is? Just another religion? You know, (laughs) are we just like changing the names? You know, we we got Zeus and Hercules and God and Jesus. Are they just the same? Is that the, are we just making stuff up as we go and one culture comes up with one religion, another one comes up with another? Is that all this is? We're just piling one religion on top of another? And I remember walking through the catacombs of this ancient cathedral wondering if any of this was true. And I'm like halfway praying to God because I don't even know that there is a God at this point. And I'm like praying. I'm like, well, God, man, if any of this is true, I'm going to need evidence. I need proof. Just like Thomas. Thomas is like, listen. If any of this is true, I'm gonna need evidence. I'm gonna need proof because I watched him die, and I know y'all are saying that he's alive, but I need evidence. I need to see his hands. I need to see his side. And so, a week, okay, a whole week after this interaction with Thomas, here's what happened. It says a week later, which, by the way, that's a long time to wrestle with doubt. Some of you maybe have been wrestling with doubt for years. For Thomas, it was a whole week of saying, I got to see evidence, and there was no evidence. But a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. And don't miss this detail, okay? Because Thomas could have taken his doubt and run, but what did he do? He took his doubt, and he stayed, and he continued to ask questions. And so here's Thomas. It says, Thomas was with them, and though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. So right in the middle of his doubt, Jesus shows up. And I love this next interaction. Look what happens. He said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. This is one of my favorite interactions between Jesus and Thomas. It's almost like Jesus shows up and goes, Thomas, Thomas, I know you have doubts. I know you need evidence. Look, a lot of people need evidence. I know you need proof. A lot of people need proof. So Thomas, here are my hands, just like you asked for. Thomas, here's my side, just like you asked for. Thomas, I know you need proof. So I'm here right now to prove to you that it's real, you can trust me, it actually happened. The resurrection of Jesus It's true, and it was proved to Thomas when Jesus showed up. And so when Thomas saw the resurrected Jesus, he didn't just say like, that's rad, you know, or cool scars, bro. Like he didn't say any of that stuff. He looked at Jesus, and here's what he said. The very next verse, he said to him, my Lord and my God. Now catch this. Did you know doubting Thomas was the very first person to call Jesus God? It's all throughout the New Testament. But Thomas was the first person because he sees the resurrected Jesus and he goes, okay, you're more than a a teacher. You're more than a rabbi. You're more than just a Messiah. You are the living God. Because listen, if the resurrection is true, it changes everything. It changes everything, and for Thomas, it took him from just, here's my, here's my rabbi, here's my teacher, to here is my God standing right in front of me, because if the resurrection is true, it changes everything, and it changed everything for Thomas. You know what Thomas did right after he saw the resurrected Jesus? He went out into the streets and he started telling everyone about the fact that Jesus is alive. In fact, not just Thomas, every one of the disciples that saw the resurrected Jesus, the next thing they did is they started telling everyone one simple message, three words, Jesus is alive. Look at what C.S. Lewis said. I love this. Uh, he said to preach Christianity meant to the apostles primarily to preach the resurrection. That's the only message they had. The resurrection is the central theme in every Christian sermon reported in the Acts. See, for the disciples, this wasn't just a thing to believe. This was the thing to To believe, And if you thumb through the book of Acts, you'll see it. Every sermon is basically the same thing. They show up and they're like, hey, you crucified Jesus, but then God raised him from the dead, and we saw him. Next sermon, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this. Next sermon, you killed Jesus, but he is alive, and we saw him. The resurrection was the central theme, not only for every sermon, but for their entire life. And so Thomas went around the Middle East telling everyone that he could that his leader wasn't just a leader, his leader Jesus is God and that he saw him resurrected from the dead. And then in 52 AD, he packed up all his belongings and set out halfway around the known world to India. Because they realized there's people in India that don't know about the resurrected Jesus. And so he packed up everything. He landed on the Kerala coast there in India. And then for the next 20 years, he traveled from the, let's see, from the West Coast to the East Coast. And he started telling everyone he could about the resurrected Jesus, planting churches, and inviting people into a relationship with the living God because Jesus actually is alive. And then in 72 AD, in Mylapore, India, Thomas was martyred, killed for talking about the resurrection of Jesus. Four soldiers and an officer took Thomas to a mountain and they stabbed him with spears to put an end to him. Thomas died because he couldn't stop talking about the resurrection of Jesus. In fact, it wasn't just Thomas. Did you know that every single disciple died because they kept talking about the resurrection of Jesus. Peter was crucified upside down by Nero in 66 AD. Why? Because he couldn't help but talk about the resurrection of Jesus. Peter's brother Andrew was crucified on his side. Why? Because he kept talking about the resurrection of Jesus. James, the brother of John, was beheaded by King Herod in 44 AD. Why? Because he kept talking about the resurrection of Jesus and Matthew and Bartholomew and Simon, the zealot, and every single one of the disciples had an early grave. Why? Because they couldn't help but talk about the resurrection of Jesus, all martyred for what they believed. Now, some of you might say, well, you know, come on, Steve. There's a lot of people that, you know, have died for their beliefs, even though what they believe might not actually be true. And I'll give you that. That's true. There's a lot of people from a lot of other faiths that have been martyred for what they believed, even though what they believed may not be true. But there's one difference with the disciples. See, many have died for what they believed. The disciples died for what they saw. For what they saw. See, they died not hoping that the resurrection was true. They died knowing whether or not the resurrection was true. And come on, if they were lying about the whole thing, you'd think at least one of them would have owned up to it, right? It's like right before they're killing them, they're like, dah, 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 dah. before you brutally murder me, you know, before you behead me, before you crucify me. You caught us. We made the whole thing up, okay? The Jesus' body, it's at Peter's house. Sorry, Peter. You can go find him there. You caught us. Please don't kill me. And yet every single disciple died, not for what they believed, but for what they saw. Even Thomas, the skeptic, the doubter, so convinced that Jesus really is alive, that he willingly died, because he couldn't help but talk about it. Even Thomas the skeptic. And by the way, speaking of skeptics, you know the Apostle Paul? (laughs) See, Paul was actually a killer of Christians until he became one. Uh, which is really interesting. He actually was advancing in his faith, the Jewish faith, far beyond anyone um, his age. He had fame. He had notoriety. He had this like cushy life ahead of him. But then he gave all of that up and became the very kind of person that he was persecuting. Why? Now, why did he do that? Oh, was it because there were a bunch of Christians that were nice to him? No, that's not the reason. Was it because he really liked the moral code of the Christian faith? That's not the reason. There's one reason that Paul did that is because Paul said, I saw the resurrected Jesus and it changed everything. So then Paul dedicated the rest of his life to telling people about the resurrected Jesus. And then Paul, just like every other disciple, died not for what he believed, but for what he saw. In 66 AD, Great Emperor Nero beheaded Paul. Oh, and another skeptic, James, while we're on the topic of skeptics. You know James, the brother of Jesus? Did you know the brother of Jesus was not a disciple of Jesus when he was walking around? Okay? Because You probably wouldn't be either if your brother claimed to be the son of God. You'd probably not be following him around. And so James didn't want to do that either. In fact, scripture records that James was embarrassed. It's almost like, Jesus, come here. you got to stop saying these crazy things. So James and the rest of his family was kind of embarrassed by Jesus. He was not a disciple of Jesus. Until shortly after Jesus died on the cross, James, the brother of Jesus, starts going out in the street saying, My brother is the son of God. Now, what would it take to convince you that your brother is the son of God, right? It's like my brother could turn water to wine. Doesn't mean he's the son of God, okay? But if my brother predicted his own death and resurrection and then actually pulled it off, I think I might be convinced. And James was. Oh, and by the way, James, just like every other disciple, died. Not for what he believed, but for what he saw. In 62 AD, a bunch of Pharisees got together because they were so tired about James talking about how his brother is the son of God and how his brother rose from the dead. And so they grabbed stones and they beat him to death. And disciple after disciple after disciple and person after person who saw the resurrected Jesus willingly gave their life saying, we saw him. Can I be honest, in my moments of like, doubt when I'm wondering if any of this is true. This is what I go back to. I go back to the resurrection and not just the resurrection, but the fact that every single person who claimed to have seen the resurrected Jesus died not for what they believed, but for what they saw. That not one of them recanted. Not one of them said, you caught us. Not one of them said, we're lying about the whole thing. Every single person said, it's true. We saw it. Even the skeptics were convinced that they saw the resurrected Jesus. See, no other faith has a founder that predicted his own death and resurrection and then pulled it off. Not only that, I love what Dr. Craig Hazen says. He says this. No other religious tradition so tightly links the truth of an entire system of belief, our whole belief, according to Paul, it centers on one thing, the resurrection of Jesus. No other faith does this, an entire system of belief to a single testable historical event. It's almost like God is saying, if you don't believe, here, there's evidence that our entire faith is trustworthy. And so I know a lot of people ask the question, well, what if the resurrection isn't true? That's a fair question. But today I want to ask a different question to you. What if it is? What if it is true that Jesus died by Roman crucifixion And then actually came back to life. See, if the resurrection of Jesus is true, that means Jesus really is who he says he is. Because he's the one that said, I'm going to die, rise again, and then you'll know that what I'm saying is true. So if the resurrection of Jesus actually happened, that means that Jesus really is the son of God. If the resurrection of Jesus happened, that means God actually knows you. He knows you by name. According to Jesus, he knows the number of hairs on your head. If the resurrection of Jesus is true, that means he knows all the things that you've done. And not only that, but if the resurrection of Jesus is true, that means he died to forgive you of everything, that there is actual forgiveness available to you. If the resurrection of Jesus is true, and if the resurrection of Jesus is true, that means you can actually know the God of the universe. You can know him personally and intimately, because if the resurrection of Jesus is true, that means you and I get to call God our dead. Bad. Jesus said, we get to call him dad. And if the resurrection of Jesus is true, that means that there is more to life than what we see. If the resurrection of Jesus is true, that means there really is a God. If the resurrection of Jesus is true, that means I can have hope in the midst of grief. And if the resurrection of Jesus is true, that means the most important thing in life is not the car that I drive or the house that I live in or the job that I have or how well my kids are doing. The most important thing in life is that the God of the universe came and stepped into human history, laid down his life, and then rose from the dead. That's what we believe. And it all hinges on a single testable historical event that person after person after person died for. Not for what they believed, but for what they saw. So it's possible that right now you're listening and your heart is on fire <laughs> and you're like I, I I think it is true that I walked in here with some doubt and with some skepticism but But God's doing something right now, and I can't explain it. And maybe maybe like the best way you'd explain it is it feels like Jesus is right next to you. And maybe he's saying to you the exact same thing that he said to Thomas. He said, stop doubting and believe. It's real. It's true. And you can trust it. And so if your heart is beating out of your chest, and if you walked in here with doubts today, but you're about to walk out of here full of faith, I want to give you a chance to respond right now to say, you know what? I believe it. It's true. So I want to talk to two, two groups of people that maybe today is the day for you to respond and say, yeah, I, I'm, I'm ready to do what Jesus said, to stop doubting and believe. The first group is those of you that are Christians. Your followers of Jesus. But if you could be honest, you would say, I have wrestled with doubt. Maybe some of you would even admit, I've wrestled, but I haven't told anyone. I've been deconstructing my faith, but I was afraid to bring it up. Or maybe some of you have brought it up. Maybe some of you right now watching this already have deconstructed. That's a, that's a past tense thing for you. You don't even know why you're watching this. At least you don't know why you started watching this. But now God is starting to reconstruct You are faith, and you're here, and you're a Christian. Maybe you're even the 50% that said, listen, I'm going to follow Jesus. I just don't actually believe that he rose from the dead. But you can't explain it. But God is speaking to you right now, saying, stop doubting and believe. This is the invitation for you today, is to surrender your doubts. Because at a certain point, in the midst of all the evidence, God is inviting you to do the same thing that he invited Thomas to do. Stop doubting Stop. you can trust me and here's what I love about when he said stop doubting and believe Jesus wasn't saying turn off your brain he wasn't saying stop thinking about it because if Jesus wanted to do that he could have just called to Thomas from the other room hey Thomas it's real it actually happened nope he didn't do that see when Jesus says stop doubting and believe what he's saying is not turn off your brain he's saying look at the evidence. Thomas said, I need to see his hands. So Jesus said, here. Thomas said, I need to see his side. So he said, here. Thomas, you need evidence here. Steve, you need evidence here. And maybe today for you right now, God is saying you need evidence here. And by the way, we have just scratched the surface of the evidence. My goodness, we could talk on and on. There was so much that I had to cut. We could have talked about the the empty tomb or the women being the first witnesses. Or we could have talked about the non-Christian sources of the resurrection of Jesus, like Josephus and Tacitus and Pliny the Younger. And all these ancient people you've probably never heard of, okay? But these are people that lived and didn't even believe. But they said, they keep talking about how Jesus rose from the dead. We could go on and on to talk about the evidence Okay, and so I only had to just give like a, just a brief. It's like one hand, you know, of like, of like the resurrection of Jesus. There's so much more. So if you're here and you're a doubter and you need more evidence, I want to recommend two resources. These are, these are books that have helped me tremendously. One is called The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. Some of you have read this. The other one is called The Reason for God by Tim Keller. Both of the, I would recommend starting with The Case for Christ. In fact, if you really like refuse to read, um, then there's a movie on Netflix you can literally watch it okay and it's about how a guy walked through his doubts and skepticism and then he got to the end of all of his research to disprove Christianity and he surrendered his life to Jesus because he said it's true. It's true. okay so Jesus today might be inviting you if you' if you're a follower of Jesus and and, and, and and you walked in here with doubts today he's saying I want you to surrender your doubts. If your heart is beating out of your chest, that's you. And I'm going to invite you in just a moment to stand up, okay? And by the way, if you're a Christian, but maybe you doubted or deconstructed, or maybe you're one of the 50% that is a Christian that didn't actually believe that Jesus rose from the dead, I just want to say, I can understand how you would treat Jesus casually. I'm not saying that you have. I'm just saying I can understand it. Because if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then all he is is a good teacher. You know, he taught some moral things. Maybe he's a prophet, but if he didn't rise from the dead, that's all he is. And And so why would you, why would you surrender your whole life to a good teacher? You know, like I had some good teachers growing up, but you don't see me surrendering my life to my math teacher. You know, it's like, that doesn't make sense. So if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then of course you wouldn't surrender your whole life to him. Of course you wouldn't reorient everything in your life around Jesus. But come on if it's true, if Jesus really did rise from the dead, then our response as Christians is my Lord and my God. You, Jesus, Lord of my life, you direct my morals because you rose from the dead. You direct the way I treat my family, because you rose from the dead. The way I talk to my kids, because you rose from the dead. The way I treat my wife, because you rose from the dead. The way I handle my finances, because you rose from the dead. See, if Jesus really did rise from the dead, he is no longer just a good teacher. He's your Lord and your God. Which means our whole life is reoriented, reoriented around him. So maybe today, the first step is to simply surrender your doubts. And say, I walked in here with some doubts, but I'm ready to surrender. But before you stand up, I'm going to invite you to stand. Before you do that, I want to talk to the second group. The 85%. Those of you that maybe you walked in here because you came to Easter last week because someone convinced you and you thought you'd give it another shot, but you didn't really buy into the whole Jesus thing. Maybe you're here because someone just promised you brunch. Maybe you're at 12 Stone Home and you, you don't know why you've been coming, but you know people are like good hangs and so you're like I guess I'll show up with them at 12 stone home maybe someone forwarded you this teaching and you started this sermon going what is this guy talking about why would I even believe this and you can't explain it because you walked in here as an 85 percent I'm not a follower of Jesus I don't believe he rose from the dead but now your heart is beating out of your chest and you're saying I think it's true the invitation for you is to surrender your life. I know that's a big step. <laughs> but that's what my friend Jesse Haney did. This is one hang-up was the resurrection of Jesus and then once he saw that it was true he said all right if it's true I'm in. what Joe Brown did. This is one hang-up and he said if it's true I'm in. And maybe for you today you walked in here a skeptic a doubter an agnostic an atheist but you're about to walk out of here believing in the risen Jesus and that's a good day for you so if that's you if, if you're in either one of those categories okay if you're a Christian that had some doubts but today God set your heart on fire and he has started conquering that doubt the invitation for you is to surrender your doubts and if you walked in here not a believer but right now you believe the invitation for you Use to surrender your life so no matter what category you're in either category one or category two right now here and across the campuses i just want you to stand up just while i'm talking right now if you're a christian ready to surrender your doubts to trust him you just go ahead and stand up if you walked in here not a christian right here you can go ahead and stand up here and across the campuses and by the way if you're at if you're at 12 stone home man maybe you just slip up a hand and you say okay right now yeah come on that's what i'm talking about man And listen, even even now while I'm talking, you can you can still stand up. Hey, real quick, doesn't it, isn't it incredible? <laughs> when you're like, it's true. That's what he did for me. It's real. There is nothing like it when you recognize that Jesus really did rise from the dead. I'm so proud of you, man. I'm so proud of you. Yeah, man, it's true. It's true, isn't it? And listen, here and across the campuses, you just keep standing. I want to, I want to pray for you. Can you stand back up? I want to, I want to pray for you. It takes a lot of courage to say, I doubted, but now I believe. Okay. That's awesome. So here at 12 stone home, let me pray for you, God. It's true. (laughs) It's real. You rose from the dead. And God, we're here gathered 2,000 years later, not because you taught some great things, not because you've answered all of our questions, but because you, Jesus, are the living God, and you rose from the dead, and so we celebrate you today. So for my friends that are Christians, but have had some doubts, God, I pray that right now you would help them as they surrender their doubts to you. God, I pray if they've treated you casually, that they would begin to take you seriously. They would submit everything in their life to you to say, no, it's real. And even if they still have questions and they still have doubts, God, I pray they would be like Thomas, they would stay in the room and experience more of the evidence of who you really are. And then God, for my friends, that today is the day that they surrendered their life to Jesus. They walked in here a skeptic, but they're about to walk out of here a believer. And if that's you, by the way, here, Across the campuses, 12 stone home. I just want you to pray this prayer right after me. God, I believe. Hmm. I believe that I have sinned. I believe that Jesus died to forgive me. And then I believe that he rose again. So now, God, I'm saying to you the same thing that Thomas said to you. You, Jesus... my Lord and my God you have control over every area of my life so Jesus we love you there is no one like you I thank you that we get to sing songs to you we get to lift up the name of Jesus not Jesus the prophet not Jesus the rabbi Jesus the son of God who rose again and so we pray all these things in Jesus name Amen.